Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bolm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 142. And I'm so pleased to say my guest this week is the legendary Walter Schreifels. This man has been a part of so many incredible things from Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Quicksand, Rival Schools. He even produced Title Fights, Shed. So much great stuff. He's uh, just one of a kind. I had the absolute pleasure of touring with him a few years ago in Europe. Uh, Touche did uh, support for Gorilla Biscuits. It was just the best time. Uh, I, I completely adore this man. I just got to see Rival Schools this last week. They played here in L.A., and I want to let you know that they have... They're actually playing tonight. If you're in New Jersey, they are playing tonight at Crossroads. Then uh, they are playing the 19th in New York City at the Bowery Ballroom, the 20th at the Music Hall of Williamsburg, and then in July, Rival Schools goes overseas. They're doing some dates in uh, Germany, the Netherlands, and the U.K., um, and then Gorilla Biscuits just announced some West Coast dates. They're going to be playing in Denver, L.A., Santa Cruz and Berkeley in uh, in July. So you better catch that. I'm going to be home. So I'm very thrilled to see them at the El Rey. That's going to be super awesome. Um, I want to let you know, also, if you are new here, that there is a bonus episode available right now where Walter answered questions that were submitted by subscribers you can hear that by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that, plus a whole lot of other bonus content. We're doing a lot of stuff over there, and uh, it really helps support the show. Another way you can support is uh, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, that helps a whole lot. Leaving a positive rating and review, it would mean oh so much. Uh, last thing, hey, I just really want to throw it out there. I have a label. It's called Secret Voice. I've been doing it for a really long time. I uh, just announced the next big project. It's called Balladeers Redefined. It is a gigantic compilation. It's the first comp I've ever put out through the label. It has 31 bands, most of which are Screamo or Screamo adjacent, featuring bands like Jerome's Dream, Soul Glow, Slow Fire Pistol, frail body infant island it goes it's such a good comp i'm so so proud it's taken two years for this thing to come together it's finally announced i'm so so happy with it it looks incredible the records actually already exist so when you're pre-ordering know that it's going to arrive at the time we say it will which is going to be in july but um go to deathwishinc.com and you can find the links there to uh to get it or you can go to uh my Instagram, which is Jeremy X Balm, and find the link for it in my bio. All right, that's enough me trying to sell something. I appreciate you being here. I won't take up any more of your time. Here is my conversation with the incredible, the legendary, the sweet, it's Mr. Walter Schreifels. Walter, what a joy. It's so nice to see you, my friend. Oh, it's great to see you too, Jeremy. It's, it's been too long. This is great. Um, I have framed behind me, uh, I only have a few like tour show poster things, but I don't know if you can see over here. I have the Gorilla Biscuits, uh, one that we did together a few years so in good. Europe because that was, and it's I, funny too, because I actually hounded the company Kingstar that did the, mm -hmm. the, did the tour. I hounded them for like three years being like, do you have any of those laying around the office? And then finally they found one. 
So, oh man, that rules. That was such a fun tour. Such a, such a great time. Yeah, really it was special. absolutely just like, it was nice too, because it was short, you know, yeah, like in the perfect. perfect way where it was like, I think it was like 10 shows or something like that, but per- just every perfect day. Sto- story arc. We're in and out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, one of those like mini, those like, like the, um, you know, like they start a series and it's like, uh, you know, 10 episodes. It's an amazing, like, it's amazing. And then they kind of like get a second one and then they're kind of just throwing ideas against the wall. Not ours. Ours is like perfectly contained. I, I, com- I completely agree. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, you're someone who, when it comes to doing this kind of a show, uh, which is like all about first experiences, mm. um, I'm sure there's a lot of ground that has been covered before, but I'm hoping mm. we can maybe unlock a thing or two that hasn't right. maybe right. been talked about too much. Um, but you have like such a huge career and like you've been a part of so many records and so many bands. Um, so uh, we'll just get things going here. So mm. um, you're one of the few that's actually like born and raised New York, right? Like New York City. Yeah, New York City. Rockaway Beach is where I, I mostly grew up. But okay. I did spend uh, time in other states. I lived in, uh, my parents went to school in uh, State College, uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. So I was there for a number of years when I was little. And uh, I lived in Ohio for a year of high school, which was really fun. Oh, what part of Ohio? I was in Toledo, Ohio. Yeah. Um, and because uh, my dad worked there, like, and uh, yeah, it was great. I think I really... Um, discovered uh i got into like hardcore kind of there in some ways i mean i knew about Mm. it in new york but i got i don't know because there was a local scene there like touch and go like necros and all that kind of stuff was going on there at that time but anyway i was too young really to go to shows so yeah i was curious because you know by the time you start playing in all these bands it's like you're you're an you're a teenager like you're an absolute teenager during that so i was actually curious like how early that came in but the first question i usually ask musicians is uh what was the first thing that you can remember connecting with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not something your folks were listening to you but something that you found that gave you a sense of identity was there something like before hardcore hmm i think i started you know i was under the the stuff of um you know my parents record collection i guess would be the main thing and there'd be certain things within that that I would find that would be mine. There was this, you know, just sort of the, I would I'd gravitate towards the, I think the weirder records in my parents' collection, like ones that they maybe bought and were just like, I don't know, the cover was cool or something, you know? Um, sure. Uh, I remember there was a band called New York Rock and Roll Ensemble that my mother had a record. It's a record from um, late 60s. And it's these jazz guys that got together to make a rock band. And um really interesting, trippy, weird stuff. Um, I don't know if I would say that that was my thing, but you know, those, those first things where it's like, I'm listening to something that I just discovered and I think it's interesting on my own. Um, Do you think it was like the record cover that appealed to you and that's why you picked it up? I think the record cover was interesting to me. Um, It's not like a fantastic record cover, but it's very like sixties looking like, um, but a little bit highbrow. in, in a way, because they were jazz guys, like they were, I think they were all Juilliard guys, probably. Oh, wow. And um, it just, the music was so strange. It was so just kind of avant-garde. And I think I wasn't like 
trying to be avant-garde because I was too little to know yeah. like what it would be like to flex like that. But it just appealed to me that it was something that I had that was just so strange, you know? And yeah. um, I think there's things like that that will pop out to me or like Neil Young's After the Gold Rush was in, in uh, my parents' collection. And that record, just the way it looks, like it looks like a wrecked record already. You know, the the cover of it's like all, it's black and white and just looks sort of like damaged. Um, yeah. And then when I put it on, like, you know, I, I don't know. It's just a person named Neil Young. You know, I'm not, it's not like none of the baggage of anything. It's just a guy. And I put it on and this like voice that doesn't sound like anyone else's voice. I would kind of gravitate to sort of, um, you know, I'm just kind of quirky like that. You know, I'll just get into the, into the <laughs> weird stuff, I guess, you know? Yeah. Just, uh, just, you know, to, I guess, talk about your folks a little bit. Were they, did they play any instruments at all? Were they like musical people or were they just fans? My dad could play a little guitar, which I think everyone probably of his age in a way could do, a play a few chords. I remember him playing, you know, just a little bit when I was little and being like, wow, it was, was very impressive. Um, and my mom, although she wouldn't think so, and my daughter says that she's a terrible singer, I think my mom is kind of a good singer, but maybe it's just because she's my mom, you know? Uh, right. And she was really, she came up in the whole uh, folk, like Bob Dylan, kind of um, Joan Baez kind of world generation. And um, so she was just very into like folky kind of music. And, you know, she would sing to me when I was a kid. And um, and I think, you know, I think some of her love of music rubbed off on, on me. My dad was more of like a Steely Dan, like hi-fi type of guy. Type of guy. Okay, um, that's interesting that those two found it was a an interesting cross. Well, they've ultimately got a divorce, but it, you know that that was the the two different lanes <laughs> that I would kind of find. Yeah, I you know it's funny because of uh, when you were born, I was curious if either of your folks, um, being in New York at that time, had any connection to like that Greenwich Village sort of folk scene. So it sounds like your mom was part of like interested in it. Was she going to the yeah. shows? I think she went to shows. She was really big into like the Clancy Brothers, um, the Fugs. She told me she saw the Fugs in the 60s. So, you know, I wouldn't picture her or describe her as like a, a scenester in any sort of a way. But I think she was just like, you know, uh, uh, of her time, you know, and, and, you know, she went to college and maybe was kind of like, and, you know, the Clancy Brothers are like folk music, but in like a real Irish tradition. And my mom's from an Irish family. So I think maybe that was a, a kind of way in for her. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like, a you know, that the like kind of folk thing that happened that we associate with Bob Dylan and all that. Well, obviously, there's a very deep, you know, Celtic folk tradition, and that would find its way in as well. And uh, yeah, the Clancy Brothers, Liam Clancy, uh, I think it's really great music. I mean, I kind of grew up with it, but I, I, it's got this sort of like kind of, it's really kind of an extension of like what, say what hot water music do, you know, in a sense, you know, this kind of like rebel rousing, you know, that whole motif, you know, of like, yeah. you know, fuck that, we're going to do it. And, you know, like kind of songwriting that you hear in, um, I know there's a, that kind of like world of, of punk sort of stuff that, that, that I, I relate to, you know, talking about like, um, the occupation, you know what I mean? Like the, the Brits occupying, uh, you know, I'm calling them the Brits, like the guys are the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I like that kind of stuff. And uh, I think my mom was into Donovan and Bob Dylan. 
And uh, that was just in the record collection. So my mom was in no way trying to indoctrinate, you know, be get me into her music or anything. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, because there's like, I have an obsession with uh, some of those artists that were coming up in that area that were a little bit lesser known, like the like Phil Oaks or like Dave Von Rock Oaks, and like yeah. stuff like that. And I was yeah, as soon as you you mentioned the uh, the Bob Dylan or the Joan Baez, I was curious if there was any connection there. I would have been so jealous. Oh yeah. I mean, my mom had seen Bob Dylan, I guess, but I, I I don't see her as like, she's not a scenester, you know? Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, do you remember the first album that you remember buying yourself? Like, were you collecting vinyl as a young kid? I got into it. I, I mean, at that point it was like, I wasn't, I wouldn't think of collecting vinyl. I was just trying to get records, whatever I could get, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, when, when you're thinking about things, when you mentioned things that were mine, like where I bought things, I saw um, Rock and Roll High School in the, in the movie theater, my which is the Ramones uh, movie. Yeah. Uh, and um, that really blew my mind. And so that was something that it was outside of my family, outside of like my cousins, you know, getting me into like whatever the who or, you know, whatever they were getting me into. And uh, so I was desperate for a Ramones album. And um somehow can't, you know, got, had the, like, whatever it cost for an album at then that time, like $5 or $6, you know? And, yeah. um, and I remember getting a end of the century when it, when it had come out, which, you know, obviously like kind of makes me a fossil, but, uh, <laughs> it was really fresh and new wavy looking at that time. So I think, um, end of the century by the Ramones was one of the first ones I bought the Blondie albums, uh, like parallel lines and, and eat to the, eat to the beat you know, kind of like this is when I was like really pretty young and just starting to get my own records. Boomtown Rats, B fifty twos, um oh, yeah. Damn the Torpedoes, Tom Petty. Um so kind of like on the kind of new wavier side of, of things, punk and and new wave was kind of right. what I was was into. The Clash's okay. first album. Oh, wow. So did you have anyone pointing you in the direction of this stuff? Or were you just like going to a local record store and just picking stuff out? Um, I was on my own, pretty much, you know, uh, there was a certain awareness of like the Sex Pistols and the Clash because they had had, you know, the Clash would get played on the radio. So I was aware of them. Um, so I but, you know, the records weren't like just immediately available. Like you, you'd have to go looking around for them. And, you know, as a kid, you also didn't have that much freedom to just like, oh, I'm going to go to the record store, you know. So sure. it, it, you would find something. It would be a real treat. So I remember finding yeah that first Clash record. I think I was like in New England or something on some family like vacation kind of thing. And um, and it had a single inside of it, Gates of the West. And um, God, what was the flip side? Groovy Times within the record. Um, and though, you know, I'd have that record and it was just so, um, sound like the clash of my favorite band, but like, you know, when it's one of like 12 records that are kind of like interesting that you own, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. It really impacts you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's funny over the pandemic, I rewatched rock and roll high school. I don't think I'd seen it since I was a young, young kid. And I had the revelation and I, I was so disappointed that my theory wasn't correct where there's a character in it named Angel Dust, mm. whose favorite band in the entire world is the Ramones, right? So I was like, oh, this is a great band name. This would make so so much sense if that's why Justice named right. his band Angel Dust. Right. 
So I shot him a text because he's a big Ramones guy. And I was like, yo, oh. is this why your band is named that? And he's like, nah, Faith No More. And I was like, God damn it. Oh, really? <laughs> you should change that story for the press. That's what I, literally what I said. I was like, dude, you love the Ramones. This is such a cooler, yeah, more yeah, deep that's, cut reference. I, I like that. I like that history better. I would go yeah. with that story. Don't totally. Just get in the way of it. I know. Um, what was the first concert you went to? Um, I guess like first... This is when I was living in Ohio. I went to see uh, uh, Sammy Hagar, Red Rocker. It can't, I can't try fifty five tour. Wow. Yeah. So wait. So I, that is that that's post he was in Van Halen. Wait. So what's the story? Pre the, pre pre Van Halen. Okay. Um, this is like probably, if not contemporary to Jump era Van Halen, like pretty close to around. And it's not like I was a fan of Sam Hagar. Like, honestly, I was not a fan of his, but, um, <laughs> but I lived in Toledo and, um, that's just kind of what everyone was doing and to go to a concert and it was at like a hockey arena and there was just like everyone's smoking weed. Everyone's young and like, uh, girls on, on boyfriend's shoulders with their tops off. And right. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. I'm like in a concert. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember stuffing like um, tissue, like uh, napkins in my ears because it was so goddamn loud. <laughs> and then I got ridiculed on Monday at school that someone had so saw me with like tissues in my e ears. And like, that means I'm not like really that tough or whatever. Right. You know oh, that's I mean? so funny. Got to find it something, you know. So that blows my mind because I, I guess I had this thought in my head that Sammy Hagar got like discovered because he joined Van Halen. So he had a career mm. before that. I don't think I realized that no, he had, I mean, I didn't know too much about it, but I, I, I have checked into it uh, since. Yeah. Um, he was, he had a really, really great voice and he was in a band called, I think it was called Montrose. I think was the name of the band. Okay. And it was, had a sick guitar player. Like the guitar player is the star really. He's okay. amazing. And Sammy was the vocalist for the band. And it was kind of like a, it would have been certainly like, let's try to be like Led Zeppelin kind of thing. Like they didn't really sound like Led Zeppelin, but it's that, you know, he kind of looked like Robert Plant and um, yeah, he was well-respected and, um, and then I guess big enough to like do his own career. And then I guess when, when, you know, they kicked out uh, David DL DLR. Yeah. He was, he was in the right place, right time. Although he's actually, um, he has a liquor company Sammy Hagar and um called uh Cabo Wabo where he has a club in uh in uh god damn it what is it called Cabo San Lucas uh -huh. and um he is his liquor company has made him like a whatever I'm just gonna say billionaire I don't know sure yeah yeah yeah. Might it's a well. lot of money like yeah the, the Van Halen money is like extra like oh you know this little I, bonus at the end of the year yeah like I teach a college course that's <laughs> that's what it, that is that's him. crazy yeah um wow and it's funny to hear that his band before he joined van halen was another band where the guitar player was kind of the star it's like yeah it that's interesting yeah i didn't think of it that way because <laughs> i think it was named after the guy montrose there you go he's got yeah. he has that uh, uh codependent band sort of uh yeah thing going on he must have um, had a couple of moments like oh god damn it here i am again yep exactly uh <laughs> What was um? What was the first instrument you played? I played violin when I was little. 
Um, really? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I don't know why I stopped playing it. Um, I was too little, but I, I had like a natural thing for it, and I felt kind of cool doing it. Have you since ever picked one up and tried to see if you still got it? Yeah, yeah. I do mean, I, I, I probably do. I mean, uh, on the level of like a seven-year-old, yeah, or whatever old I was <laughs> when I was playing, I think I could probably whoop some of these seven-year-old kids. <laughs> Give me a weekend with some YouTube and access to YouTube. I, I think yeah. I could take some of these little brats out. <laughs> did uh, did you have to do like uh, recitals and all that sort of stuff? or was it, it didn't get to that level. It was more okay. just like the experience of like, um, yeah, wow, like I'm, 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 I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Like I'm, uh, I'm le- reading the thing and I recognize this song. It's called hot cross buns or whatever, you know, three blind mice or whatever the hell I was playing stuff like that. So it, yeah. it was just more of like an intro to the, uh, experience of, of, of playing music. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was cool. Okay. Was it, I'm assuming this is a thing that your parents had suggested. I feel like not a lot of kids would choose I the violin. I doubt I was like clamoring for it. Yeah. 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 It's, I feel like it's either piano or violin. Did you ever play piano? No. And if I, I, I really am so, uh, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but like, um, that people that can play piano, like usually they're sort of like, Oh, I hated it. You know, I can, here's the song I can play. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, you know, your friends that are like second generation and they can speak like a language, but they don't even care about it. And it's like, totally. Oh, it's so annoying, dude. Like, you know how to do it and you don't even care. Yeah. Speak Yugoslavian to them. Come on. Yep. Yep. Uh, but I, I wish I could, I could play piano, but my parents, uh, they failed me pretty much. <laughs> their failure. So, so did it go from like playing uh, violin and then a bunch of years off and then you started playing guitar or was, yeah, was it bass yeah. first a- or yeah. No, there was a long period of time, you know, uh, I learned how to play violin when I was very little. And uh, I thought guitar was cool, you know, like, I guess it wasn't until junior high. And then a, a friend of our, a friend of mine, he uh, made contact with this guitar teacher who was teaching for like $5 a lesson, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, that's like a coffee. Um, yeah. And um, I think I got like $35 from christmas or birthday or something like that so i got like seven lessons from this guy and uh and learned how to learn how to do it which was i don't know if i've like learned anything since that was as 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 uh beneficial to me like uh that that you know opened up so many possibilities and and cool things um and how old were you at the time i was 13 or 14 probably okay what was the first guitar um, I had some sort of like, uh, my dad got me a, uh, like a gut string, a acoustic, a classic classical acoustic from, he was on a business trip somewhere and I was in Turkey and he brought me back this guitar and, uh, you know, it was, I didn't think at that point acoustic guitars were cool at all. Like they seemed really lame, yeah. but I learned on that. And then, um, also my first electric guitar, which I got with other birthday money the following year was, uh. Uh, an Ibanez, uh, I don't know what the model is, but it's sort of like uh, 1970s, like sort of imitation Gibson, sort of. Okay. 
Yeah, it was. It's kind of a cool guitar. I wouldn't mind having one now, but I mean, it's that one's long gone. Yeah, was the acoustic that you were learning on hard to play? Because I, you know, a, a thing that gets talked about uh, every now and again on the show is a lot of people's. You know, it, it's so understandable for people to get disinterested in wanting to play a guitar or something when they get handed a guitar that's really difficult to play. You know, like the action's yeah. really high. It's like hard to make the chords and whatever. Yeah. Did you oh, go man. through any of that? Oh man, that it hurt so bad, you know, like the, the strings were so, uh, you could really just feel like your bone touching this metal wire after a while. It's just, yeah. it was awful. But, um, and trying to like find the, you know, make your fingers, make the shapes. Um, but you got to go through it. You know what I mean? That that's, that's the deal. I think if you learn on an electric, like you would think it, it would be easier because it's not as hard to play the action usually, but, um, but then maybe you're you're doing yourself a disservice in another way, you know, by not suffering through it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's one of the metaphors, you know. It's like a, it's like the person who gets to tour by just getting read on a bus as opposed to having to right. tour in the van, you know. It's like you, right. you earn it a little bit. Say the people who did it that way. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> you know? So, uh, but yeah, no, it was. It, t- it took discipline and, and, you know, it probably took me like six months before I really was able to like kind of move around fluidly um, on, on the guitar. Were you able to, did you have the kind of teacher that like you could say, hey, I'd love to learn these songs and each, and he like showed you how to play them or was he just, or was it pretty like, here's some chords you figured out on your own? No, he was, he, he was the, the, the former, he, he was great. Um, and his name was Walter too, which was, I, I it was great. Um, I don't know why that's great, but it was, is cool. I don't mean too many Walters. And, um, he, um, he, like the first song I learned was back in black. So I was immediately excited to play guitar because the ACDC were my favorite band at the time. So I learned it's back in black. Yeah. yeah. It's a great, cause there's time in between the chords. So you hit the, the one chord, you have a little bit of time to try to get your fingers over to the other chord yeah. and then a little bit of time to get over there to the other one. Um, so that was it's a great a- one. Yeah, it's very inclusive. It makes you yeah. feel like, you know, if these guys are writing songs this basic, it's, yeah, anyone can do this. Exactly. That's re- it's really a beautiful thing about ACDC. They, they are really, I guess, punk in that, for, in that way that they're showing you that you don't have to be like so good at this thing to like make yeah. something great. Yeah. Um, that, God bless the bands that are like, you know what? We got one song but we could do it a lot of different ways and yes. you're enjoy every single one of them. And we're going to have a great time. We're going to be talk about, we're basically in a bar and we're going to talk about all the stuff <laughs> that happens in the bar for like 14 albums. Exactly. It's going to be exactly. great. I love exactly. it. Um, but yeah, he was very cool like that. I did. I remember I did ask him to teach me uh, holiday in Cambodia by uh, dead Kennedy's is a little bit further down the road of lessons. And he's yeah. like, I can't, I will not teach you that song. Cause he, he was offended by it. He's like, I'm offended by the name dead Kennedy's and I just will not, I can't wow. say something else. Wow. He, I wonder if was, that's, that's, that's where your roads start to diverge, huh? Yeah, no, like, it was good. It was good because yeah. then it's like, okay, well then I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that kind of, that was like when, uh, you know, that's, that's when my training was sort of, uh, finished, not in a, in a bad way, but it got me to like, if I'm going to learn the stuff, I have to do it myself. Yeah. And I mean, what a different playing style too between ACDC and then Dead Kennedys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Dead Kennedys is actually more advanced, for sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. yeah. So, some very interesting like 
uh, single note stuff. Yeah, that, yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. stuff like that surfy angle. Like you need to have some coordination to do that kind of stuff, and just the uh, some of the speed of it. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I, I ever came with a good version of that song, but I I, I did remember like okay, so he's not going to teach me the shit that I'm really into anymore. Yeah. It, it, is Dead Kennedys one of the bands that? sort of taught you how to play punk guitar like they were very influential on me because i mean when i first started to get into like getting into punk scene like where i'm going to the shows and i'm kind of like following what's happening in a local scene and all that kind of stuff the bands that i knew going into that would be the big ones you know like i knew suicidal tendencies i knew dead kennedys i knew Bad Brains, I knew, uh, you know, I had Ramones. I, I, I didn't know, I knew the more the, like the kind of big guys, the, the post-punk sort of thing, Clash, stuff like that. Um, so when it came to like writing or trying to play this sort of stuff, the things that I gravitated to, the stuff that sounded the most like kind of wild and, and Dead Kennedys were kind of that, you know, that, them and Suicidal. Sure, sure. So how long after you start playing guitar and like feeling more confident, did you start a band? Like what was the very first band you did? Um, the first band I did like in punk world was, was Gorilla Biscuits. And um, I guess, you know, it didn't seem like right away, but you know, cause the way time passes when you're like 15 years old or 16 yeah. years old, but um, it was probably pretty soon after I started going to shows. So I guess I just saw that as like my best way to participate in this besides just going to the shows i was just into it um but you never had any like just you and a buddy down the street trying to like do a thing like before gorilla biscuits yeah. oh yeah, yeah 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 for sure the guy that i learned how to play guitar with we had a band called the rodents and you know we had kind of punky songs but we okay. just didn't you know rockaway beach is like pretty you can see manhattan from rockaway but it's it's very far like and i was too young like my my i wouldn't know what the hell to do you know what I yeah. mean? To go to go to like the Lower East Side and play a show, like we're just too far out, you know. And um, so in that time, I, I didn't start playing and going to CBGBs until I was like maybe the next year or two when I was um, living closer to Manhattan. And so, uh, sure. So yeah, I had like a little kind of like fun band, you know. Uh, but Gorilla Biscuits, I wouldn't even say Gorilla Biscuits was just like a serious attempt, to be honest. It was just like trying to do something. And yeah. then miraculously, after a while, we like got a show and it became more of a real thing. Is the first show that you ever played, was it with Gorilla Biscuits? The first show that I consider like a real show? Yeah. I mean, I guess I consider my first real show is like CBGBs with Gorilla Biscuits. Like that was just like, I could barely sleep the night before. I was like, so excited so scared yeah and and then having done it um it was just a super high you know like yeah you know because i knew what cbgb's was so that was just i felt like we had made it already like everything else was just gravy sure sure did uh just just to chip chip back uh, a little bit on the on the potential band that you had with like your friend before gorilla uh -huh. biscuits like did that when you say like Grill Bits was your first official show. Like, did you do any like talent shows or anything like that? Oh, with yeah, any of bands? course. Okay. Yeah. That, so talk to me about that. Cause that's what I'm curious of, of like how it felt to do that the first time. Like, talent you know. shows. Yeah. Okay. So the first talent show that I remember, I think it was probably like in fifth or sixth grade. 
Okay. And uh, there was a thing. Uh, this is again going to date me, uh, but there was this show called The Gong Show, and there was a comedian that uh, he was the unknown comic, and he would have like these one-liners, and he would wear like a paper bag over his head, mm-hmm. and I just thought he was so goddamn funny. So our band was called The Unknowns, okay. and, we, and we got up, and none of us knew how to play, so it was like two <laughs> acoustic guitars and a keyboard, like a little. Uh, it, a keyboard i can't even describe this keyboard it's like one of these like really just pathetic keyboards like and, the lowest uh, version of like a casio that just has not like even a casio a, no oh, it's okay, like yeah. it's one that has like a little motor in it and a fan and it's like <laughs> like a fisher price my first keyboard yeah not not cool at all so two acoustic guitars, a, a keyboard, and we all wore leather jackets of different kinds, not cool Ramones ones, like wore just weird <laughs> whack ones. And and we wore the the uh the plastic paper bags over our head. And so we and we just lip synced to uh, uh a Bruce Springsteen song. And uh and we tore the house to be fair, we tore the damn house down. See now could you imagine that this podcast went on without ever hearing that incredible story? That would have been that would have been a waste of a podcast. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Did you win? Um, I don't know that it was. I think it was everyone is a winner type of uh, thing. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I would surely remember if we didn't win. I would be so pissed. I would be pissed off to till this day <laughs> if that were the case. So I think it's like everybody gets a participation trophy as yeah. it should be. Yeah, should sure. Be. Sure. Um, it's so funny. I had uh, George, who sings in the band Deaf Heaven. We on on his interview when we were talking, we talked about the other leather jacket, which is what you were mm-hmm. describing. You know, it's like yeah, it's not like the cool one. Tell, yeah, it's like not the cool one. It's the other leather jacket. Yes, yes, it yeah. is leather. It is leather. It is a jacket. <laughs> it is in fact a jacket. But yeah. you do not look like Fonzie in it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so how? You know, when you look at like releases and things like that, like how soon after did you start playing bass in Youth of Today while you were also in Gorilla Biscuits? Is it like the same year? Is it? Uh, it would have been pretty things? soon in time. I mean, Gorilla Biscuits uh, started to kind of we're real we're real late late bloomers or slow growers, whatever. Um, I think I was on there. I was more on Youth Today's radar because I'd started playing in Warzone. So probably within a year of when I started playing, of when I played CBGBs, like we played CBGBs, we would get a show sporadically throughout that year, and uh, and then somehow uh, Warzone were looking for a bass player. Warzone's another like New York kind of yeah. hardcore band, and um, and I was playing with them, and that was going pretty well. And then Youth Today needed a bass player, so they asked me. So that would have been. I think that was my uh, that was my senior year in high school, actually. Okay, God, it's so crazy. Isn't it funny when you think back on how much stuff happened in such a short amount of time compared to like the way time moves yeah. these days? Isn't it just yeah. crazy? Yeah, it's wild. I mean, you just it's. Uh, what do you think that's a product of? Well, I think I would chalk that up to the fact that just not as much stuff has happened to you. So that, that then just things are moving slower because of uh, you're experiencing things for the first time. Whereas like I'll go out and have very similar experiences. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you're you're yeah. just used to shit and you have so much stuff in your head. So things just kind of pass by quicker. Like um, that's well said, you know, yeah. at that time. And it's yeah, you're, you're just experiencing things for the first time. So they're just like super powerful. Um, how long was... Well, actually, was your first recording experience, was that with Gorilla Biscuits? 
yeah, yeah. We went in. Um, Don Fury, who was the kind of like go-to guy in New York, he was uh, he had produced Agnostic Front's album "Victim in Pain," and uh, he's just a real cool kind of older, real super like Johnny Thunders kind of looking. He just had a cool look. He he had a kind of a tough exterior, but in, in fact, he was a really sweet guy. Re- really, he's still alive. He's a great guy. And um, but we went in there. It's just like just felt very intimidated and nervous and like, you know, putting on the headphones and being freaked out, you know, it, it was very, very cool, but it was just a cassette thing. And then um, it wouldn't be for like another probably year or so before we got a chance to do like multi-track recording. And that, that was pretty mind blowing. I, I don't know. I'm sure you remember the first time you did multi-track recording, but like um, hearing my guitar doubled, I was like, Oh man. So that would have been for start today. Uh, that was for the first Gorilla Biscuit EP. Oh, okay. The, yeah, the, yeah. That seven inch that's on red. This, yeah, the seven inch that's. Oh no, what even been before that? Because we um we were on a compilation for Revelation Records. Oh right, right, right. So right. Uh, so yeah, so you know, and, and by that time I had kind of become more friendly with with Don Fury and and a little bit more comfortable, and uh, you know, started to feel like all right, you know, I kind of do this, all right. So that first time recording though, so when you say it was like cassette, was was it just like a live recording? Live. Like all of you guys played together? Okay. It'd be a two track live and there was a, uh, the drums were in this sort of like little isolation bubble where it was like plexiglass around it. And so you'd be, um, the, you'd be in the room with this like plexiglass boy in a plastic bubble <laughs> yeah. drum set thing. And you know, you could hear pretty good. The tapes really had a sound. I'm surprised no one's really like, done something with there's any new york harker band would have gone there for a rehearsal and the tapes would come out really good wow it's like yeah the the original version of the uh of the uh, iphone recording where it was just like yeah, yeah, yes. you just go in to hit play or hit record when you got to hear a song back and um what were you guys rehearsing we would just rehearse you know sporadically like you just wouldn't there was no schedule there's no like yeah you'd just be like okay there's plug and play places in New York. So, um, you know, but you'd have to come up with the money to do it and get everybody organized on the day to do it. Not everyone went to the same school. So, you know, you're calling your friends, trying to work this out. And then, you know, you're dealing with adults and, you know, the money, it's all very sweet. Right. Uh, you know, I was curious when you were, you know, when the scene was happening and you're in, you know, you're playing in all these bands, were you aware of how unique the world you were a part of was, or did it feel like you were just existing within this thing and trying to like, kind of make your own part of it? You know what I'm saying? Like, like at any point did it, was it, were you noticing like, Oh, my group of friends are doing something different. I didn't think of it in any sort of bigger way than uh, this is what I'm interested in. This is like Mm. uh, of all the stuff that you can kind of get into. Um, as a kid my age at that time in New York City, like, and there was lots of stuff. I just thought going to the Lower East Side and going to CBGBs and seeing these bands of kids that were like my age doing all kinds of different sounds and, you know, preaching and stuff on stage and just saying crazy shit and trying to make, you know, records or tapes or, you know, t-shirts and this whole thing was just really seemed very, really cool to me. I, I was sure that 
the cooler stuff had already happened, to be honest. Like I, I, I was pretty aware that minor threat had broken up and that we were just in the aftermath of that. And I yeah. didn't really consider that it would continue on as long as it has. I mean, I, I just, it wouldn't, I wasn't thinking like, Oh, you know, sure. I wanted to make like a cool hardcore record, but like for that moment that was happening, not for like posterity or like, some career goal sure. and the kind of music that obviously not many people liked and pretty much sounds terrible, you know, like <laughs> to the average person, to the, yeah. to a person that grew up in a normal household with like loving parents and things like hooked up and, you know, yeah. taking care of like, as all children, I, I wish they would be, would find this music really a little disturbing probably. <laughs> Did, uh, you know, it's funny. A, a thing that, uh, that comes up on the show a lot, which is one of my favorite things about, punk in general which is that i feel like if you put in just enough hard work it's not impossible to like play with your favorite bands you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying and mm -hmm. i was curious if there were any shows early on that you were playing that you were like i cannot believe we got to play a show with this band mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. there were uh the first show that gorilla biscuits played we opened for jfa and jfa were like jody foster's army like that was one of the first punk bands that i got into like they they were you know, hardcore, like they're amazing. Um, yeah. uh, another one was, I remember youth today, I was going to supposed to go to college my, my freshman year and youth today got offered to do <clears throat> like a 10 day tour with, uh, <clears throat> with the adolescents, uh, from California who are like, yeah. you know, that's quite a like, show. I couldn't believe that they were even like alive and playing still, you know, it just seemed like <laughs> so old but like yeah. so classic it's like basically they're like you know you're playing with the kinks or you know like or yeah, led zeppelin yeah, yeah. or something it was like even though it was only a few not that many years before um right and that was massive like hanging out with tony cadena on their rv and just for me like That's you crazy. know these were these guys were rock stars to me you know like in in the best possible way like they were people that i thought were like not only making really cool music, but like living a certain lifestyle or that I idealized. <clears throat> Did, uh, was Youth of Today a pretty established band at that moment? Like, I mean, were those shows, was there a clear divide between like sort of more street punky kids versus like hardcore kids at that show? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, I would say that Youth Today was definitely the ascendant thing because, uh, when I joined Youth Today, Youth Today was already like, very well established and yeah. yeah and and like was it was a thing um and uh we we were you know my point of view like in that scene of hardcore that or punk whatever there were bands like the adolescents um there were bands in california that were sort of like more punky um some bands had kind of gone into this sort of metal direction. I just yeah. felt like Youth Today was the best band at, at that time. Like we, we had great mosh parts. We had an ideology. We had a, a fearless frontman leader who was great at moshing and, and all of that stuff. He, he was just the best. So going into those shows, I always felt very confident and, and self-assured in what we were doing. Yeah, and you're inflated. Yeah. But also very, uh, you know, not, not it wasn't lost on me that we were playing with people like the adolescents like their first album is just always going to sound good forever like it's just really an amazing thing
Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. You played bass on the um, We're Not In This Alone record, right? Yeah. And I know that was recorded at the Chung King studio. And I was curious because it has like such a reputation of of like crazy influential New York artists like in your time around there, did you ever come across, did you ever like see anybody uh, mm-hmm. like just crazy that, you know, like would be shocking to hear like any like rap artists or anything like yeah, that around yeah. at the time? Uh, yeah, for sure. LL, I, LL was there when I was there. Uh, Public Enemy were there when I was there. And it was, uh, it wasn't even really fancy at that time, you know? Uh, Danzig was there when I was there too, but I didn't see him. Oh my God. Um we just really wanted to record there, you know. Yeah. I, I think the Beastie Boys had recorded there. I think um, so, yeah. And uh, we just wanted to be down with it. So we, but we were recording there in like the graveyard hours with like the co- <laughs> the coked out freak <laughs> that they just threw to, to basically, you know, I don't know what this guy's. He ended up er- accidentally erasing the entire snare track. <laughs> so poor little Sammy, like. 13 year old kid had to like retract the snare on a Harker record. So if you listen to that record, you, you can hear it's why it's, it's part of why it sounds so crazy. If, oh my if, God. It's the records. I'm not knocking the record. I think the record's really great and meaningful to, yeah, to me yeah, yeah. And, and, a, and a lot of people, but it is, it is really an insane. The recording is, is maniacal. so he had to do an isolated, just snare drum track. Just a little, little kid going, kept, 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 kept. <laughs> and if you listen to it, it's like, it's good. <laughs> it doesn't always right because the, yeah. the guy erased the goddamn snare drum. That's terrible. Holy and shit. I, and I think, uh, Ray to his credit just sang so good and his, his lyrics and he had so much passion that you, you, the music doesn't fucking matter. It's hardcore. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? It's about, it's about passion. It's about, I mean, for us, it was about a certain kind of uh, ideology that, that we felt passionate about. And I think that that carried the day. What was the first uh, release that you had on vinyl? Was it that you put out on vinyl? Was it the Gorilla Biscuit seven inch? No, it was a, the uh, first Revelation record is called uh, Together. And I played okay. on, f- it's seven bands, and I played on four of the record, four of the songs. I okay. played in Gorilla Biscuits, I played in Youth Today, I played in Super Touch, and I played in Warzone. Oh my God. On that seven inch. Um, and I don't have a fucking copy, which is so <laughs> ridiculous. So I, I, I tell myself that I've got to get on whatever Discogs, Discogs or and track one down. I track one down, even though I feel like, God damn it, buying yeah. it off of somebody, but I should have it. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. If people are listening to this, there's one thing that I've learned is like the amount of times throughout interviews that maybe I've dropped like a certain record I'm looking for, the kindness of people that come out Ooh. of the woodwork that are like, okay. yo, I have an extra copy of that. So if anyone listening has an extra yeah. copy, our boy Walter needs one yeah yep that's a kindness challenge right there there you go <laughs> that's, that's really um, nice 
So uh, we could jump ahead to, to quicksand for a little bit. I mm -hmm. wanted to, uh, you know, it's so fascinating to me that like the, that you were on two different major labels for that. And I was curious how Polydor even entered the equation. Like that seems like such a left field thing. Yeah, Polydor, I think the time that we got on the, we got signed there was, I mean, this is not super interesting, but it's, you know, it's a mainly, it's a main corporation and they own all the little imprints, right? So like the, the, the company was called Polygram. They owned, uh, you know, Mercury, Polydor. Uh, there was a, a label group and th there was a few other labels. I can't remember the names of them. And so uh, they were trying to make Polydor happen. So it was really just like a wing of this like monolithic machine. Yeah, yeah. Machine. And to me, I thought it was cool because I was a fan of the jam and the jam were on Polydor. So that got me psyched. Um, Cause I've always thought of them as like a UK based label. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were trying to make that happen in the U S and, it's, I think to mix success, uh, I think we were probably more on the like cred side of what they were trying to do, but not really bringing like making them rich side. They had a couple of like pop things, but ultimately the um, the company that owned them got bought out. And so I don't think they continued doing Polydor and we then got picked up by Island for the second record. So that was, oh. again, um, you know, Island was owned by this larger group. So like, who's going to pick up these bands? And we got picked up by Island Def Jam. It's so crazy to think about how even early on back then, how like the mergers and acquisitions were happening that, that early crazy. on. Because I mean, oh, obviously, man. as time went on, it got even crazier and crazier. But it's wild to think that that was happening back in like 1990. That's yeah. crazy. And, and it would wreck people. You know what I mean? If your record was like set up to come out and you're like, everyone's all excited for the record. And then someone buys the, the label or something like that. They fire a hundred people. And then they tell you like, Oh, well, we're just going to like hold off on it. And uh, you know, here's a little money to pay your rent. And then the new people come in and they didn't sign your band. And then you're just kind of ass out. And that was your chance. And now you're, you know, you just spent three years in this sort of, you know, th that, that would ha happen to people, you know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. I mean, being, you know, close friends with uh, the Thursday guys, I remember that being one of the things that happened with them with their second record where like yeah. all the people that signed them originally and championed them and all of that, like by the time it was time to put out their follow-up record, it was like, oh, look, no one who was originally here is here anymore. And right. So those people tough. are like feigning like, yay, we love you guys. And Totally. Like, but when they go home to their wife, like, I have no idea who these fucking guys are. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Um, actually, real quick before, because uh, one of the first questions that I that I uh, I forgot to ask is, uh, what uh -huh. was the first tour you ever did? First tour I ever did, like, I did, like, little runs, you know, out to California or something like that. But the first, like, real tour was I graduated high school and uh, toured the United States with Youth Today. And we were out for, like, five weeks in a van, uh, okay. seven of us. And that was like the real deal. Well, you, I mean, we shouldn't discredit like the first, like when you say like go out to California or whatever, like what you, so I'm assuming you did kind of like shorter, like weekend warrior. Yeah. Week, deals. Weekend stuff. We would do like the Northeast, you know, so we would even yeah. go out as far as the Midwest, um, you know, and these would be doing shows with like people that you would kind of know from talking on the telephone, you know what I mean? Like, so you'd call up like another, like, 19 year old or 17 year old in cleveland and they've like rented out the pizza parlor or made some deal because their uncle owns it or whatever like that kind of shit yeah and um 
or, you know, someone that's going to college that like wants to get in the music business is promoting a show at, <laughs> you know, an all ages show on a, a, at some, some sort of venue. So, uh, we would go on those kind of connections within the Northeast. Uh, but you know, which was really cool because we would get up to, yeah, like we play Cleveland, we play Buffalo, we play Albany, Boston, Rhode Island, uh, you know, even like DC, uh, Philly wasn't such a big stop, but we'd play Jersey a lot. Uh, but anyway, there's like a circuit in the Northeast. Uh, and then, you know, the kind of wild thing was like flying out to California. You know, yeah. So w- w- that happened with like youth today, I think probably was the first time, like where we had a, um, some big show at Fenders. So we'd fly out to, uh, to California and, uh, you know, then drive up to San Francisco for a show. And, you know, that was kind of the first, like, you know, you're on a traveling team, you know, it was, it was cool. How much more difficult was it or, is, or was it in fact, maybe easier back then when it came to like checking guitars and all of that sort of stuff when it came to like flying to California? Oh yeah. They were cooler about that kind of stuff. Airlines were way cooler at that time. Uh, the yeah. only thing, the only downside is there was smoking sections, which would just be like, you know okay after row 16 you you can smoke as if like the entire fucking metal cylinder wouldn't just reek of cigarettes yeah so you're just so that was kind of weird but um but yeah the the it's not like now like you have to like just work the system and all this kind of of crap you got to do yeah were you flying with like full drum sets or was it like no no we're borrowing shit yeah Yeah, yeah, we're borrowing shit yeah, we're, for sure. We weren't, I figured. Try, we weren't trying to make the job any harder than it had to be. That's what I expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, what about your first European tour? Who was that with? That was with Youth Today too, and that was really, really amazing because I, you know, I'd always, I'd always kind of wanted to travel, um, and never really figured out like how would I ever do that. I mean, you know, a ticket to Europe could be like a thousand dollars. Like, where am I going to get a thousand dollars to go to Europe? And yeah. Um, so that was amazing. We were over there for uh, over two months, playing like every night, like no over days two off. Months. Yeah, it was God. it was pretty brutal in the winter, huh. and uh, we played all every you know town in Germany that I had never heard of. You know, yeah. like, and uh, we played Czech Republic and uh, East Germany and Yugoslavia on that tour, which were all like you know socialist Iron yeah. Curtain countries. Um, and, you know, we were there when the Berlin Wall was up, which was, was really wild. Um, and uh, it, it was an incredible time. We were in Spain. I, we played in all over France, uh, Scandinavia. So I really just saw all of Europe in, in a blast. And I saw it uh, from, the, from the vantage point of squats. Like I was basically yeah. in squats or, or, or kind of like Jugendhaus, like youth center kind of places the whole time. And when they were too disgusting, I would sleep in the van. Uh, although the youth, youth houses were generally nice, the squats could go any which way. Any direction, yeah. It could be like, oh my God, this is beautiful. This rules. Uh, the occasional uh, wealthy kid's house yeah. uh, along the way always always was a boost. Um, and yeah, and then just like sometimes when it's just too disgusting, just like basically just freezing in the, in outside in the, in the van, miserable. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. It's, it's crazy. I think the first time that Touche went over to Europe, we played a, you know how it is over there. where like, you'll just randomly be on an, on a show with a 
a, a whole lineup of bands that doesn't make any sense or like why yeah. you're there or whatever. Uh-huh. So we ended up doing a show. It was just us, us and a youth brigade. And I was like, Ooh. sure. So it was cool. Yeah. Um, but hanging with them, uh, and they're super nice people to us. They uh, they were like pointing out on the wall like all these po- all these old tour posters because it was one of these venues that had been around since mm. like the late '80s. You know, That's amazing. So it's just I guess what I'm getting at is it's like it's super awesome that over there it's like one of the few places where things like that actually can still exist and still be run the same ways. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think they have social they have support from the government to some, for a lot of these places. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, they value the arts for some reason, uh, something that, <laughs> that, that they, we don't do here in, in the United States. We do not do here. No, no, no. Uh, it's for communists. Yeah. So uh, I was curious, when it, uh, so to hop back over to Quicksand with uh, the Slip record, um, you guys recorded that with Steve Hagler. And uh-huh. if I'm saying that last name correctly, how did yeah. he come your way? Like, how did that connection start? Uh, Steve Hagler, he had... He had uh, engineered the Pixies records, uh, or oh, a couple okay. of them. He did Doolittle, uh, and, and maybe another one of their records. And he was, uh, signed on to engineer our album. And then we were, we were on with a producer and just ultimately it wasn't a good fit, but we loved Steve. So we kept Steve. And, oh, interesting. Uh, and so, uh, he's just kind of, yeah, he's primarily an engineer, but he was also had, you know, he had great vibe and he was a, a, someone to bounce things off of off of as well okay um, and i think we needed that i don't think we really like I, I, my point of view at that time was like we know what we're doing like we're good we don't need like a spengali we just we we just want it to sound good and and have another opinion when we hit a jam and who uh, who uh who are you guys being influenced by at that time like what what and also what was polydor maybe looking for in quicksand as like was there another contemporary band at the time that they were trying to get their version of or something you know because i feel like you guys were on the ground floor of like you know obviously like hardcore kids playing in a genre that is more radio friendly i personally and maybe i I didn't have the best i just thought here we are let's make the most of this you know what i mean like we're in a fancy studio uh, we're getting paid to, to like, they're going to help us with touring. We're going to be in, a, in a, you know, to do all this kind of stuff. I didn't really have a good sense of like, how are we going to become a, 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 there's no precedent for the kind of music that we're doing really totally being popular. Um, so I guess the label would have put us under the category of like alternative rock. Like we're going to have like a Nirvana or a P- smashing pumpkins or something like that. Um, did you ever cross ways with any of those bands? Nirvana, uh, I saw them play a couple times. I, I didn't really like, I, I never got a chance to like hang with them. Yeah. Um, and Smashing Pumpkins, I saw one of their early shows in New York. I remember Tom and I, the guitar player from from Quicksand Going, we saw them play at Danceteria in New York when they were just on, I guess their first album, whatever that Gish, is, yeah. is a Gish. And, you know, it's like a little club, you know, uh, not full, like, you know, small thing. But I was I was interested in them because they were kind of Jane's Addiction-y, I thought. Mm. And that first record, sort of, I could hear that. Yeah. And that's sort of like what we were kind of going for. Obviously, we were very influenced by Fugazi, but Jane's Addiction was a big thing. We also had a little bit of a, a metal kind of aspect to us. 
Uh, I think you saying f- those three things makes a lot of sense to me. Like to hear that as a sonic inspiration, I can hear all three of those things, yeah. especially in that first record. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what where we were at. So I was I was kind of scoping Smashing Pumpkins because I thought we can take these son of bitches out. Like, <laughs> I want to see what they're doing. If these yeah. guys, because I think they were on Caroline Records, which was like not a major, but like at that point, you know, this is pre Nirvana, so yeah. it's like there was no precedent for anything from the underground being popular. Totally. But once, once Nirvana came out, then like almost like anybody, it just seemed like very easy to get a record deal because everybody wanted something and no one really knew what could be popular. Totally. And I got to ask, what was it like seeing Nirvana? The first time I saw them uh, was like the week that Nevermind came out and I was a fan, but I never just, it never like, like worked out that I got to see them until yeah. goddamn Nevermind came out. And they played okay. uh, a place called the Marquee, which is, you know, kind of like a 600 cap room. And just like, you know, Sonic Youth was there. All the like every New York like heavy hitter was at the show. And it was freaking amazing because I, I mean, I knew their music. Yeah. But I'd never seen them in this. Yeah. I didn't know what they were going to be like live. And they were just fucking insanely good. Um, oh, and I saw God. them. I saw them again, like probably three or four years later, I guess. And uh, we were on tour, maybe not even three or four years later, we were on tour with Rage Against the Machine and we were in the same town that Nirvana were playing the same night. And so, uh, the, uh, you know, our, we all went over to, uh, to see Nirvana uh, play. And this is like right, like, God, it had to be like a month before he died. Wow. Uh, not, not as good. Not as good. They were just like... Um, and I think the problem is, it's not even anything that they were doing. They had the whole set, like, you know, the in utero kind of like with the, with the, the um, angels and stuff, the angels like, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, that stuff was cool, but it was like, it was like, they're presenting this sort of like, uh, it's, I wouldn't, it's certainly not show business, but it's sort of like, they're trying to like brand this experience in some sort of way. And, um, just after being after teen spirit and like all the shit that happened within that time, like you just, it, it's impossible to create the same level of excitement. And I, I can think, hear that. Yeah. And I, I, there's just no way to do it. Like yeah. ha, ha, after you've done, like there's nothing bigger than being teens, like teen spirit. That's as yeah. good as you can get. And then anything else is like less. So we, I remember thinking like, okay, they're kind of like a, obviously a very good band. I like them a lot, but the, you know, this is like they're they they're they're not as into it is what it seemed like. Sure, I almost wonder when it came to like all of the stage decoration and stuff like that. Like to me, that strikes me as like they just let whoever represented them ha- handle that stuff because they don't yeah. seem like they would have given a shit. So it's right. It's, it almost whenever I've watched footage of that stuff, that's always been in my mind where I'm like, I'll bet that they had no care or say or i mean like they could have had say but they're probably like whatever you guys want to do we just want to play these songs you know yeah. what i'm saying and it it's wasn't like a, it wasn't like it's like oh they're sellouts they suck now because yeah. they do this the set design but it was just seemed like all right so you know it's kind of like what every other band would do you totally. know what i mean yeah whereas like where a few years before they were like it's literally like revolutionary like they just kind of whatever i mean it lots been you know plenty has been said about it but um and just out of just so i can get a full scope of this picture did you go with members of rage against the machine to that yeah. show 
yeah, like our whole tour party, like we all, you know, that's just I mean, like Rage an insane was, thing to think about. You raid, you and Rage together going to go see Nirvana. Like that's like a right. That's, a, that's kind that's of a, cool. That's a stereo gum uh, article in and of itself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was cool. Like, and and we and it was in somewhere in the Midwest. I can't remember what town. Like, it might have been like Lincoln, Nebraska, or something like that. Wow. And uh, and I always think it's cool to see a band in a like, especially a big band. Like in a place like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, like not, not on the New coast York or LA. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, you know, because that's those are the places where it's like they might just be tempted to phone it in. Oh, or just I, you I know, hate to so, say it. Yeah, it's so funny. Whenever you know, not to throw shade, I'm not gonna. Na- I would never name a name, but like you know, you get these. There's a million bands a year that like get a bunch of love on you know Pitchfork or whatever else, mm-hmm. and uh, they seem to be the biggest band in the world. But I'm like, let me see those Kansas City numbers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see those St. Louis numbers. <laughs> None too impressive, boys. Um, um, you know, it was a big room. It was a big room. wasn't full. Yeah. Uh, but I remember seeing, I remember we were like debating whether we should like try to like make it backstage and do that kind of crap. But we just like thought, man, let's just go home. For sure. For sure. Um you know, you mentioned uh, Fugazi, uh, well, Fugazi as an influence, um, and you also mentioned, uh, but you mentioned Sonic Youth as like being around that first time you saw Nirvana play. And I, and I know you guys did Manic with uh, Wharton Tears, if I'm saying his yeah. name correctly. And yes. he had worked on some Sonic Youth records, right? Was that like... I think he had. I think he maybe... I, I, my, Daydream Nation comes to my mind, but I just, I might be making that up. I, he, yes, Wharton was in that same kind of scene that Sonic Youth uh, kind of came in, in the uh, no wave stuff. Yeah, and like yeah. experimental, kind of like Glenn Branca uh, guitar music. Yeah, I was curious if like any of that was any sort of influence for wanting to do the follow up record with him. Oh, 100%. I mean, it was strange with quicksand, you know, we kind of like made our first EP in this sort of like burst of like, you know, very tangent to like hardcore. And then within a very short period of time, like that was not what we were really after at all, you know? So, you know, we had, our taste had gone way more towards like, yeah, surely like Sonic youth and, 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 uh, you know, grungy stuff, uh, and, 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 you know, sort of, uh, shoegazy stuff. And, um, you know, I think also cause, uh, helmet had worked with Wharton as well. And Paige had a, a, a connection to that whole kind of no wave world as well. Um, you know, it's kind of like avant-garde guitar playing. Totally. Um, and so, you know, Wharton was kind of like Don Fury in a way, like he was like his own, he had his own like little studio and, um, He's just a cool guy and uh, great energy. And um, yeah, I remember working at his house and like Jay Mascus lived upstairs. So Jay would oh, wow. be hanging out and just was just kind of like a cool, like those guys were all older than us. So it kind of felt like, you know, when you're like the freshman and you're hanging out with seniors or something like that, it's like just <laughs> yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just to be in that environment and just to even, or even just to hear those two have a conversation and how that could be exciting in and of itself about like, what are they talking about, you know, with the yeah. experiences they've had. Um, yeah. I was curious. So uh, to jump ahead a little bit, I I know you did the label Some Records. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was curious if a motivation for that was your time putting out records on an independent label and then putting out records on a major label. Like, did you have any sort of influence where you're like, well, I could take these two experiences that I've, I've had and seen how they work, find the pros and cons and turn that into our own thing. Did that, was that any sort of like influence? Uh, surely we, you know, we had, I had been on all these different labels and I knew a lot of people in bands and, um, and it definitely, you know, just wanted to build a, build a better, better mousetrap, I guess, you know, not mousetrap's not the right thing, but like build a better way of doing it, you know, be, you know, artist friendly, get shit done on time, make sure people get paid on time. Um, and be creative, you know, uh, that, that was the, the ambition. And, um, you know, we put out a lot of great records, I think, and the ones that I especially loved was the Aerotype 11 records, 6117, um, the Hot Water Music record, uh, No Division, which I, I, pr I produced that one, which was just super, I, I love that record and it has such a great experience working with those guys. And um, There's uh, one record you guys put out, and I know you did a label with a couple different people. I, I don't know how involved you were with it, but uh, that band, The Ghost. The Ghost were amazing. That band, yeah. unreal. They were unreal. so good. We just, God damn it, we had great bands, but we just like, I, I wish we had uh they didn't click the guy the goddamn ghost didn't click some i mean they did but you yeah. know it wasn't something like that was happening at say um uh what was the label at that time uh they, uh vagrant oh sure yeah you know what i mean like where where you or even like how revelation happened you know you have to have that one band to click with the other bands and blah 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 we were not able to do that and i think you know i think we were pretty broad in our in our a and R choices, and I, I think maybe that was that was good. And the fact that I think we put out a very diverse group of, of artists, and I, I think always good. Yeah, um, but it wasn't so defined in in a in a label sense. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and just real quick about producing, because you've done a handful of. I mean, obviously you've done Hot Water Music, Title Fight. Uh, you did like a Google Bordello record too, yeah. which is pretty crazy how many other records have you done many other producing uh let's see the, the i produced the civ record uh oh, sure. which you know i also played on played on um, yeah uh the the uh who else did i produce i produced uh rebecca schiffman's record really great record uh uh the i was first step. oh awesome really I was amazing curious. straight edge hardcore band yeah greg bacon bass player is uh yeah. the old old pal uh wow, that rules i was curious if your tactics for different jobs uh varied if or if, if you're like a hands-on i'm interested in the songwriting aspect or if you're like a rick rubin i'm just here for vibe like give you pointers mm. on what could be this what could be that or does it just depend on the project it depends on the project i mean some people just I mean, I'm thinking of like hot water music. They, they just had such, sometimes you just want to stay out of people's way, you know what I mean? Or help them stay out of their way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's sure. what you can do. And I, I'm definitely reluctant to get into the hood with anything too much, under the hood with with anything too much, unless it's like very much understood, like um, we're just playing right now. 
Like there's no like uh, we're just checking things out. I, I just would never want to like you know, you're kind of like a, a, an extra, you're like a cousin that's like trusted, that's fun to hang out with, that has good opinions, but you know, you're not in the immediate family. So you have to respect what that energy is and, and, and read how the relationships work. Some bands are like very, you could hit a tripwire between two people in the band that you don't know that it's there. And, um, that could affect the, the flow of the work or, or, um, uh, you know, can, can open up by playing that right. You can open up different possibilities. So, you know, obviously I love, I, I love writing songs. I love, um, I love playing music. And when I hear, when I'm in a band with a band, like I, I love them and I want to like, I, I hear, identify what it is about them that I really like. And I want to try to encourage to heighten that for them. And if they, you know, if anyone gets in a, a jam or a, you know, they'll be like, okay, dude, why don't, why is this an instrumental section? You know, like, what is, is it not happening because like, you just don't feel like writing the lyrics or is this really saying something? Because for me, I'm just saying like, I'm not understanding it. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. And that's very yeah. insightful. That's very insightful. The, uh, the tripwire analogy. That's, uh, yeah. that's very well said. Cause yeah, you, it's sometimes someone from the outside who's just trying to interject and like, have any sort of, you know, like guidance or anything like that. Like you don't know what you might be stepping into if yeah, it you, might affect yeah. a relationship. It's very smart. You, you don't know if Jim and Dave have bad blood for some reason or like something pisses them off. They had some sort of fight at uh -huh. some point and you're like stepping right into that. Yeah. Um, or like if that's while that song was being written, someone was very hard headed about one byway or the highway. And then all of a sudden you're, you're stepping on that. Yeah. You never know. And, and conversely, like, if you do understand that, if you get cued, clued into those kind of things, you can play a role in taking the egos out of things because like ultimately like, you know, those kind of things just cut, they, they, they just close doors on certain possibilities of things happening. Cause you, if you can't look at it objectively, you can only look at it through the lens of like, this guy burned me on this bridge. Like I thought right. the bridge should have went this way and he fucking got the bridge. Fuck him. I'm not <laughs> listening to this idea now. Okay, yeah. dude, it's a stupid bridge. It's not a zero sum game. You know what I mean? And you want to create, you want to create a, an atmosphere where people don't see it like that, but it's, it's also normal to, to, to have those reactions. So, you know, as an outsider, you can sometimes absorb some of that and bring a lightness to it. So I love all that stuff with production. And also I'm always, you know, if I'm working with a band like Title Fight or, or, or Gorgo Bordello, uh, Hot War Music, or, you know, any, it, these groups all have a reason why they're successful and why they're good and why they generate this energy. And so when you're working with them, you know, you're, you're providing some insight, you're trying to like open things up, but you're also learning from them and like understanding like what's, they might be learning something from you, a trick that you know, or some way of looking at something might open something up, but I'm also like learning from this band, you know, and, and absorbing their greatness in a way. Totally. A thousand percent. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about rival schools. So, mm. uh, you know, I feel like when we were on tour together, I punished you a little bit cause that's like that, that the United by fate record is like easily one of my favorite records of the last 20 plus years. And, uh, it's oh, it's you. exciting to see you're playing shows. I'm going to be definitely in town, thankfully, when you play here at the Terragram. Awesome. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was curious, just like from an outside perspective, because this stuff always interests me, because that record came out on Island as well. If was there anyone from like when you first originally worked there to when that record came out that like was still even in the company? Like, you know, we talked about the changing of guards Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. that happened. Like, was that relationship already still in place? Like, or did that come back around in some sort of interesting way? Yeah, for that for that record, I mean, what happened was um, after Quicksand, I got signed to a solo deal, and mm. then um, and then uh, and then another company came in and bought it again. So tons of artists got dropped, and there was just like a lull period. Like it might have been like a year of a lull before, like you know, they would throw me enough money to like cover my rent or something like that, but nothing was really happening. I was making demos. And then eventually they're like, okay, we're doing Island Def Jam. It's going to be Island Def Jam. That's what happened. It went from just okay. being Island to Island Def Jam. And, uh, and they were just building the team. So at that stage, I was kind of on the ground floor because I was one of the contracts that they already had. So I kind of got to know everybody as the team formed. So by the time the United by Fate record came out, that was kind of like one of the first records that like that had gone through from the the beginning. You know, it's like the one of the early releases of this team that they had put together to put out, you know, sort of like guitar based music uh, on Island Records again. You know, interesting. And, uh, so by the time, say. Uh, Thursday came and it was like almost in another phase almost by, by that time. Right. But, um, but I was, I knew everyone up there and everyone, everyone was cool. I mean, it was a, a corporate label. There's some, there's some shit that wasn't about like whether we're friends or not, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I knew the crew. Um, I was curious when it came to writing that record too, like, did you get, I mean, you mentioned having already like uh, a deal with them yourself, but like, were you, writing these songs and then you built a band around these songs or was this like i'm gonna start a new band with all these new people and then we start writing from there i was in a long period of you know because of the kind of things i was describing with this like kind of corporate merger crap yeah i was in a long period of just making demos so i'd make demos i'd be like okay i'm ready here's demos oh they sound great make more demos Hmm. because they just were not into like putting out an album because they just the team was not there um and also if you're the the contract that they already have there's not the same kind of urgency as if we just signed these guys for a million dollars the guys that you just signed for a million dollars who you know we didn't get a million dollars but i was that guy some years before i was no longer that guy i was sort of like you know oh that's a nice chair over there when am i going to sit on that again you know what i mean it was it was already in the house sort of totally yeah, they were um, looking to try to recoup that million dollars they just spent as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's just a different. It's a it was a different place for me. Totally. But also, you know, I I could have like petitioned to get out of it, but at the time, I was just accumulating these demos. So eventually, when everyone said, "All right, we want you to really do something," like we really want you to do it, uh, then I I got yeah, I just got more focused ultimately, okay. and and I took the best songs that I had gotten, like, you know, I mean, you're, you're a fan of the record. So like use for glue, everything has its point. Um, I don't know. Those two come to mind. There might've been some other ones. 
had been written like years before I had put out that record. So, you know, but then, you know, once we got the group, me, Sam, Cash and Ian together, you know, we also had a sound. So I think that album is sort of a combination of those, those kind of things. Yeah. I was curious, like if once you kind of put the band together and then you started rehearsing, if then it like kind of took a different shape. Yeah. And some of the songs that I had, I just didn't think fit this group for some reason, you know what I mean? Like, so there were certain songs that I tried with rival schools and I just, for whatever reason, didn't feel fit, but we ended up doing other things that were, you know, exciting to us in the room. And so we, we kind of, we, you know, we eventually kind of found a, a sort of, I think a pretty eclectic sound, but you yeah. know, sound. Um, where in the songwriting for that record did, uh, I think I talked to you about it on that tour, but the song undercovers on, which is like, my favorite mm. song off that record when at what point did that song get written was that like one you had or was that one that came a little later on no that's a, that's i'm glad you asked about that song because um we had a producer for rival schools we were talking about producers before and he was a really cool guy um he had produced uh because bon jovi was on island records he had just produced the big bon jovi comeback record which was um it's my life Oh yeah, it's yeah, now yeah. or never, whatever. So that was a big thing. So the island guys were like, "Why don't you check out this guy? Uh, his name's Luke Evan, great guy." Um, to like produce your guys' record, and like that sounds really dumb. Why would we want Bon Jovi's producer? It's funny. Like, I had wants- this. No- I had this note because I was going to ask, like, what? Like, you look at this guy's uh, discography, and it's a lot of Bon Jovi, and then you guys, yeah, so primarily, it's primarily, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know we would get like, we should have some sort of like more indie rock type of guy. Uh, but we got with Luke and he was just really cool. And also then we started to think like, why don't we, instead of trying to make these like, you know, basically what, especially Manic Impression, I have to say, you know, trying to make indie rock records on, on major labels. Like the point of being on a major label is to like make it accessible to massive, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be the point of it. You I mean, you could just take whatever money they give you, but like, isn't that part of the mechanism? To, you know, the, the upside is, yeah. you know, so why don't we try to make a record that sounds, you know, let, let's give this guy a shot. So anyway, uh, very long story uh, short. So anyway, we, we were listening to all the records. I mean, all the songs, you know, I was sitting with Luke in his apartment and he's like, you know, this record's missing. This is a funny thing. One thing I think this record is missing it's a ballad, you know what I mean? Coming from John Bon Jovi world. Yeah, 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 and, sure. And I'm just like, that is so corny. I've never thought about that before and ever. My re- our record is missing a ballad. You're right. But I just felt like really cool, like challenged by that because why don't you write a ballad? And I and I was just there and I just wrote Undercovers On like right there. Uh, not all the lyrics, but all the chord changes. and uh, And it was really, really exciting. I think it was a combination of just I think him just like say, saying that and also just the, the idea of trying to write a ballad was just something I'd never done. And so, you know, a ballad is like, sounds cheesy, but like, it's just like a kind of a chill song, really. So, yeah, it's, but it's like, a, I mean, it's, if, it's always struck me as a pretty sad song, you know, as yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it's not like what you would think about is like a typical love song, which is yeah, like yeah. what you think of when you get ballad. Um, my interpretation of it has always been sort of like, uh, 
like a song about someone doing everything they can to like not show their real self is that mm. sort of any sort of in any sort of way like a interpretation that makes any sort of sense you yeah, don't have I to think, like I give think... away the you don't have to give away the secret sauce if you don't want to but yeah i mean it was very i think that's that's absolutely a good interpretation of it i mean it's you know it's really just like having at that point like gone through experiences with friends that were drug addicts and just mm. like you know how how just people become uh yeah they're hiding shit all the time you know totally. what I mean? and so and you and you love that person uh but it's just hard to 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 maintain relationships with someone that that has is 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 living that lifestyle totally totally because i think i mean the fr- the the name undercovers on is like very striking because it's like it's like not words you've ever heard really put mm. on together you know what i'm saying like the, it, it gives you an interesting imagery when you think mm. about it so i don't know so i guess what i'm getting at is thanks for writing that song it's quite oh, great thank you so, thanks yeah. a lot man yeah, 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 appreciate yeah. that um so i wanted to ask just really quick about uh the found record which was like all the demos for the record that Mm -hmm. ended up never coming out that got Mm -hmm. released you know in like a vinyl format some years Mm -hmm. later um only one of those songs ended up on pedals which was the record Mm -hmm. you guys released 10 years later Mm -hmm. uh it was the song big waves i was curious if what the motivation was to just move on from those tracks was it just like a new lease on the band where you just wanted to start fresh or was it hard to give up some of those songs that you had demoed before? I can't imagine the, th- I, I, I don't know the thinking, but it probably would have been a, like Ian didn't play on that and Ian was playing on pedals. And so, you know, what, what is, what was our vibe on that? Those songs. Um, but you know, I, and also that they were old at that point. So maybe we probably just wanted to like do something that was more reflective of where we were. You know, totally. I think some sometimes you like, I think some songs are classic and you can go back to them and reinterpret them and still make them good. But a lot of the time it's like time and place, you know, what, when is this, you know, you know, let's just write new stuff rather than try to like learn this old stuff and try to like breathe new life into it. I, I don't know that there was right or wrong, but it just, we ended up having more material, which is good. For sure. For sure. Um, I mean, yo, there's so much, like I said, in the beginning of this, like there's so many different things to talk about with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like later down the line, I might ask you to come back so we could like chip a chip a little deeper on some of this, uh, yeah, on some of your yeah, other projects and stuff. Um, so, so let me hit you with the last question, which is when mm-hmm. was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Hmm. I think this is so funny. I did a press tour for rival schools and I was just traveling by myself, like with a handler, just doing press, like around Europe, yeah. like taking little, little flights, showing up at their local MTV of like the Netherlands or Spain or whatever. Yeah. And, um, with just like my personal handler and all, you know, staying in nice hotels, meeting cool people. And I was like, I'm doing this right now. I yeah. mean, I didn't feel, va- I didn't feel validated by that. I mean, I guess in a way I did, uh, <laughs> you know, like. I am at a stage where I warrant a press tour. Like I'm yeah. doing this. So that that was some sort of like milestone. But you know, I, I talked earlier about playing CBGBs. I I think that was a pretty massive mark for me. Um, you know, uh you know, there's different things that you'll just kind of pick up on. Uh but I think that that rival schools one, because I think rival schools 
differently from like Gorilla Biscuits or Quicksand or any of these other kind of things, one thing that was unique to Rival Schools was that we were pop. So like not so much the United States, we didn't get a push in the United States, but in the UK and in Europe, like it wasn't it was just like anybody could be a fan of rival schools. They just like heard on it, saw it on MTV or, or whatever. And so it wasn't people that like knew who minor threat were, was, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, they yeah. didn't, they're just like kids. And so, uh, so that, that was really a fun experience. I like the, uh, the the press tour answer though too because it is funny because it's so foreign to people like us who like come from punk yeah. to like do something like that so i totally get it i mean it, similar but not but not super similar is i remember like you know maybe 2013 like two it was when touche started to kind of like first kind of get some more attention so we were doing a bunch of press for our 2013 record in uh in london and i remember there was like we had a pr person who was like set up all these interviews for our backstage at like our sold out London show. And like they had a runner go get me food. And at that point I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. Like right. I've never felt anything like this before. Like I feel so special, but yeah, it's like, cause again, it's like so foreign for people like you and I who like grew up playing squats, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't yeah, hate it. It's I, right. I, I, Worst you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there's worse things. I'm sure after a while it becomes like a job, like anything else. But uh, it was like, okay, cool. This is yeah. – I warrant this. Um, totally. Okay. Totally. Okay. Appreciate uh, it. Man, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Walter. You're the best. A pleasure, Jeremy. It was so good to talk to you, man. And looking forward to seeing you out in, uh, in L.A. Yes. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Walter for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Walter answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Thank you so much for being here and I hope you have a good rest of your week. Take care. Bye bye.